together with you today. Uh, I've heard of, I heard some time back of the church right here in the city and, and I've got to say that it's, it's a real privilege to be able to come and actually meet with you today and to be here. I've wanted to come a number of times, Jean Ha, but, um, we have over a hundred worshipping groups in, in Victoria, about 105, I think it is, and, there's only one Sabbath a week. And the fact that we're in the afternoon, I was with someone else this morning, but it does make it a little easier for me. But we can't get everywhere as quick as I'd like to. But it's a privilege to be able to come and to meet with a group of people who I know are committed and uh, searching and seeking. And I, I'm very, I want you to know that uh, as a conference, we are very pleased to have your pastors right here doing a good job. We believe you have a good pastoral team and I'm sure you would agree. So um, thank you, Jean Ha and Roy, for your contribution and for all who have given support. Um, one of the things that we are very much aware of is that in Melbourne, year on year, there's at least 100,000 new people moving to Melbourne each year. Um, my question is, do you think they know Jesus? And... There are a lot of people living in the inner city area. We may not all live in the inner city, but there's a, a growing number of people living in the city. And I know we have Gateway and we have um, the Orchard, but I'm so glad that we are able to worship here together. And and uh, I just hope, Roy that um, and Jean Ha, that this group will just continue to multiply and cause you a seating problem. So that we have to look at other ways of um, of exploring. I want to just open God's word with you this afternoon. And uh, I don't know if you've got it with you on your phone. I actually prefer my phone in so many ways. Um, but I tend to preach from a, a paper copy of the scriptures. But there are so many advantages, so many different translations, the Greek, the Hebrew, so many different things available just at a touch on my phone. So if you have yours there, I do want to um, actually explore quite a bit of scripture this afternoon and we'll move fairly quickly. But first of all, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we turn to you now because indeed you are God. And as we seek you this afternoon, we've come to worship you. And I pray that through your spirit, you will guide our minds and our hearts as we explore your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was Jesus who said, the thief doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But then he spoke about himself and he said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, you know what abundant life is, don't you? Abundant means there's lots of good things. So I've got a question for you. Is your life abundant? Is it overflowing with a sense of the goodness that Jesus intended? I know that as I look at myself, there are times I would say yes and there are times I'd say, I wonder if he had some more in mind for me than what I'm experiencing now. And so I want to talk today with you. I just want to share with you and explore some of the basic starting points of believing. 
some of the most foundational things. We can know the truths of the word of God. We, as, a, as a, an Adventist movement, we've been a prophetic movement. We understand the prophecies. We look forward to understanding how they will be fulfilled and the things that will happen. We know that Jesus will come again and that that coming must be soon because of the things that are happening. But there's something that is more important than all of that and without it, the second coming may come and we won't be taken to meet Jesus. And that is connecting with him because there would be, Jesus said there would be people who would come at the time of his coming and they would say, Lord, Lord, we've done all of these wonderful things in your name. And he'd say, you have, but I never knew you. And he doesn't take them to be with him. And so I want to talk with you today about knowing God and entering into that relationship. I don't know if you ever heard a song. It's a little children's song, I guess. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. My guess is you've probably heard that before. But I want to explore it again. I don't know how many pagans you have met. I was living in Canberra at the time and I can remember boarding a bus one evening to go to Sydney to pick up a car. Normally I'd just drive there. But from Canberra, it's not that far, five hours or four hours, three, whatever, it depends on the traffic or whatever. But this night, I boarded a bus, it was late in the evening, and I sat down knowing that I was going to have a long drive back with the car. So I figured I might as well sleep. I was hoping to get a comfortable seat, I prefer the aisle seat because then I can put my legs out and stretch, there's never enough room for me. You may know what I mean. Yeah. And I sat down and there was a young lady beside me and she had a newspaper open. And I was just polite and I greeted her and said hi and then prepared to settle back and make myself as comfortable as was possible in a cramped space. But she seemed like she wanted to talk. I think of her as the pagan on the bus. It wasn't very long before she asked me, so what do you do for a living? And I told her I was a pastor. Now there's a good um, conversation starter, isn't it, with secular people? And when I told her she was a pastor, she immediately wanted to know which church, which denomination, wanted to know all about, about that. And so I just turned to her and asked her, would you consider yourself to be a spiritual person? And she said, um, and I figured she really didn't want to talk, but all that had happened was that she had taken a break to figure out how she was going to start to tell the story, which she did for the next three, three and a half hours, and I didn't get to sleep at all. And that was fine. It was a very interesting story because she said to me, I'm a pagan. I said, oh, really? What does that mean to you? And I'm not really sure that she knew, except that she knew that she wasn't a Christian. She'd grown up as a Christian. She, her mother is a believer. 
Her mother would have been in church every Sunday and she had gone to Sunday school as a Methodist. But for some reason, I don't know what had happened, but I had a hunch as to what had happened to her in the context of religion. And for some reason she felt controlled and she felt like this was not something that she wanted to pursue any longer. She wasn't free to think, she wasn't free to do, she wasn't free to be who she was and who she wanted to be. And as a result, she had just chosen to walk away. And when she went to uni and heard a lecturer talk about paganism, she figured, yep, I'll be one of them. I'm not really sure that even to this day she knows what it meant. There are some who have said that we live in a 21st century world of post-postmodernism. I mean, postmodernism is just basically turning away and you can, it's whatever you want it to be almost. But some have said we've actually gone beyond that. And others have described it as a, a post-Christian world, even though the most recent statistics tell us that 61% of Australians consider themselves Christians, even though only about a quarter of or less, maybe 15% of that number actually attend any church. And even then, it's probably only for Christmas or Easter or for a wedding or a funeral or something like that. It's paradoxical. I don't know if you've heard of John Paul Sartre, but this is what he said. I caught the Holy Spirit in the basement of my mind and flung him out of there. He went on to say, atheism is a long and cruel business. I believe I've been through it to the end. And for the last years, I've been like a man who has no longer any reason to live. Wow. It doesn't sound to me like he had the full and abundant life that Jesus was talking about. He had turned his back on it. He had thrown out the Holy Spirit by his own admission. And now he says atheism is long and cruel. And now I feel like I have no reason to live. He was riding a Harley Davidson. I was driving my car. I don't know if you've ever done it, where you drive up to the traffic light and when it's red, I don't know if you've ever stopped to look at who's beside you. I don't do it all the time, but on this occasion I did. And there he was, sitting back on his Harley Davidson motorbike. Now, you know, if I was going to have a motorbike, I wouldn't mind having one of them. And I just kind of looked. It was a very nicely kept bike. And he had all the gear on and he's just sitting there with his glasses and his helmet. And it was his helmet that got my attention. Across the top of it, along the front, it said, Everybody dies. Oh, how charming. What, what a, a helpful message. Everybody dies. And then in smaller lettering underneath, it said, 
but not everybody lives. Jesus wanted us to have full and abundant life. Did the guy on the Harley know what Jesus was talking about? Or was for him, was living for him, sitting back on his Harley, revving it, driving it along, you know, they fire about every lamppost. There's such a slow revving engine. Was that, is that what it was for him? To have life? Is that where he got it? I don't know. Now, Augustine was one of the early Christian theologians and a lot of what he's written has influenced both Western theology, in other words, the church in the Western world, and also in addition to that, he's influenced Western philosophy significantly. And he said, talking of God, he said, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Is that the full and meaningful life that Jesus was talking about? Maybe. Bertrand Russell was a, uh, a philosopher, a mathematician, an historian, a writer, a social critic and a political activist. He was a British person and he made a significant impact on the thinking of many people. This is what he said, among many other things. He said that God is dead I cannot deny, but that my whole being cries out for God I cannot forget. It seems to me that we live in a world of paradoxes. I mean, here he's saying, I know that God is dead. He believed that God is dead, but his innermost being was still crying out for God. I have a friend who grew up as a believer. I can remember visiting them as a family, and she has chosen for a variety of reasons to distance herself from church. It's a sad thing. We still are able to go and visit from time to time, but distance means that that doesn't happen very often. And the last time we were talking about the sort of thing that I'm exploring with you now, and I want to open the scripture in just a moment to see what does the Bible say about these things. She described herself as gently agnostic. Now, what would that mean? A foot in each camp, I'm not really sure. But after years of no longer going to church and not choosing to be a believer, she said, I can't quite understand why I find myself still praying every day. There's something inside that was relating to the divine, even though she chose not to. And she would be walking around doing something in the house. She's a school principal. She'd be at school working through a problem and find herself in the middle of it, turning to God in prayer, the God she no longer believes in. God is real. God is reaching out to us. He's wanting to connect with us. And so today I'm thinking about us. We have come here to worship God. We've come here to explore. We've come here. We've been affected by the world that we live in. And you know what? There are many people 
who come to worship, who are still wanting to get a handle on what it is to really connect with the divine. Do you know what I mean? And I'm one of them. Have I connected? Yes. Do I think there's more? Yes. The disciples came to Jesus one night, one day. They came to him and they said, teach us to pray. There they were with Jesus. And they still said, we need to learn some of the basics. And he didn't take one of them away and say, okay, I'll teach you to pray. They all needed it. They all needed to learn something more about it. Someone said that prayer is the easiest and the hardest of all things. The simplest, the weakest, and yet the most powerful. And the results certainly lie outside of the realm of human possibilities. And so Jesus was talking to people who belong to church. I used to read the scriptures and I would open it and read the pages and read the stories of the people who are there. And I would think, wow, these people had it all together. They had everything figured out. They knew how to relate to God. They knew how to connect. These people, because they're in the Bible, they were all okay. And then as I grew a little older, I started to actually read and understand rather than just come with my assumptions as to, well, they're in the Bible, they must be sorted, must have it all sorted. Because these are the words that Jesus spoke to those who went to worship in one of the early churches. You can read along with me if you want to. Let's come to the book of Revelation in chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4 and 5. I'll, we'll uh, just share this, this together. Um, but here Jesus is talking to the people who went to church in Ephesus. We go to church in Melbourne. There was a whole letter written to the people who go to church in, in Ephesus. But this is what Jesus said to them. I have a complaint against you. Um, Roy, I'm glad we didn't get a letter like that. But they did. And I think, hang on a minute. These are in the Bible. These are the people back in Bible days. These were the first Christians. These are the ones who had it all sorted out, in my mind. Well, apparently not. I have a complaint against you. You don't love me and each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen from your first love. Turn back again to me and work as you did at first. And you know what that tells me? Other people have struggled, even the first believers, the first Christians, struggled in their connection with God. Many people have longed for intimacy with God. Not all find it. 
And so I want to explore with you briefly, and you can follow along in your Bible. Come to Psalm 1, the first of the Psalms. I just want to ask this question. So there are people in the Bible, they weren't perfect, they did work to be able to connect with God. So how did they do it? Have a look in Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. And this is David. Now David, as you know, was known as the man after God's own heart. And it says here, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. As David connected with God and meditated on his word, he had a sense of joy and blessing in his heart. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4. And I'm not going to read all of these verses. I want to refer to them. You can follow along and you'll see what I'm talking about. But in Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4, we find Isaiah talking about connecting with God morning by morning. And then in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16, I find the Apostle Paul, who was obviously another one who was connected with God. He actually, most of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. And in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 16, it talks about how he prayed constantly, giving thanks for those people. And then in Acts chapter 10 and verse 9, I find the story of the Apostle Peter one of the 12 disciples. And he was on the roof at midday and he was praying. So now we've got Isaiah who connected with God first up in the morning. You've got Paul who prayed constantly. You've got Peter who prayed at midday. And in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, we find it talks about how how John, again, one of the 12 disciples, it tells us that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. So I guess it would be fair for us to say on Sabbath, he connected with God. It seems to me that Jesus knew that it wouldn't be the same for each one of us. If you'd like to come to Mark chapter 4, we can follow one of the stories that he told. Mark chapter 4 and verse 3 down to verse 9. This is um, one of the parables or one of the stories that he told. And he said, listen, a sower went out to sow. Do you have the mental picture? What did he have? A bag over his shoulder with a, a bag of seed. And he went out throwing out the seed. Okay, I don't know if they'd ploughed the paddock first. Sometimes they would do that. Whether You know, it's not quite the way that a farmer would sow his paddock these days. So he went out to sow, and some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. So just imagine this. He's wanting to get the whole thing planted. Some of the seed went on the path, the wayside. It's not in the the area that's been prepared. And then it goes on, and it says, some of it fell on the stony ground. There wasn't much earth there. And immediately it sprang up, but it didn't have any depth of earth, so it didn't survive. When the sun was up and it was scorched because it had no root and it withered away. 
And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. And the other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up and increased and produced some thirtyfold, some sixty and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has, who has ears, let him hear. What was he talking about? What was the seed that he's talking about? Well, he went on to explain it down in verse 16 and following. And he said, these, these um, likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. So he's really talking about people. The seed apparently is the gospel message, the, the message that God loves and cares about people. And some say, yep, looks good, but they don't follow through. And then there are others who it doesn't even sprout. They just say, no, not interested. And there are others who respond and it makes a lot of difference. But I'm interested to explore what the things were that limited the response to God. God is there, he cares about individuals, he cares about people. What is there that we can do? What can make a difference? What are the obstacles first? Let's explore that. Because I never realised until just recently that this passage is talking about us. Me. Maybe you too. It's talking about people who have problems. There are people, some who are persecuted, some who are given a hard time because they choose to believe. For some, the message is crowded out by the things that are going on in, in their lives. For some, the, the lure of wealth and the desire for nice things was crowding out the time that was needed to be able to connect with God. I guess for some, it's work. For some, it's not having work. For some, it's stress, and for others, it's distress. I remember once I was, I was uh, taking some formal study and doing a class in personal spirituality for pastors and there was a question asked and I had to write some, a paper on it said what are some of the obstacles to developing your, your relationship with God as a pastor my answer completing the assignments for the spirituality class you get it busyness pressures of earning a living in a merciless economic climate could do it Bereavement and loss. Or alternatively, it could be what we gain. It could be disappointed hopes or it could be the hopes that are realised. It could be broken relationships or it could be the relationships that are working, that get our attention and take our minds away from God. It could be change or it could be stability. It could be moving house or staying in the same house. It could be getting married or getting unmarried. It could be the arrival of children and for some it's not being able to have children. 
all of those things can take time and they can take over our lives and we can easily put God on the back burner. And I guess the question I have is how can we come back to the love that we had for Jesus the first time we heard of him and maybe we're still exploring that and still wanting to go deeper. Have you ever climbed a mountain? I don't know if any of you have been to Lord Howe Island, but it's a magnificent place. I had the privilege of being the pastor there for a couple of years. Someone's got to do the tough stuff, you know. I mean, that's a holiday destination for most people, but I was there to work, and I did. And I can remember climbing a mount, a mountain that is 3,500 feet high. What's that in metres? 1,000 metres, maybe? And it is that climb because you start at sea level and basically just go straight up. I took a group of young people up there and we had church there one Sabbath. You get to the top and it's exhilarating. You're puffed out and worn out. It's a long climb. You know what I mean? To climb and to get there. It's not something I would want to do every day. But when you get there, it's in a sense life-changing. In Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 to 19, it talks about a mountaintop experience that Peter never forgot. And I just want to explore this briefly with you because it seems to me that there are in our experience times and things that happen that help us to understand and help us to know deep down that God is there for us. And this is what it says. This is what Peter recorded. Be holy, for I am holy. Did I say First Peter? Let's look at Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 to 19, and he says, we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were eyewitnesses to his majesty. We, he received, for he received from God the Father honour and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We heard this voice which we came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. And so he goes on. This mountaintop experience that Peter describes, he heard, he saw, and he knew. So how did Jesus do it? I've talked briefly about how David and Isaiah and Paul and Peter connected with God. But out of everybody who knew how to connect with the Father, Jesus did. I just want to show you some things very quickly. Come to Mark chapter 1. I like the book of Mark. It's the shortest of all the Gospels. It was written by a young person who was in a hurry. And I like that about Mark. He gets to the point and gets on with it. Have a look in... Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, if you have it there. Now, in the morning, 
having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. For Jesus, he prayed early in the morning. Now you may not be a morning person. I'm not particularly. But I can tell you, I have prayed early in the morning many, many times. And I've found it makes a huge difference. Come to Mark chapter 6 and verse 46. Mark chapter 6 and verse 46. And again, it's talking about Jesus. This is the story of when he walked on the water. You remember how Peter walked on the water? And it says he... he um, in, in verse 46, it was evening, you know, because it was at night when he went and met them and Peter stepped out of the boat. Do you remember the story? When he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. So we've got it recording that Jesus prayed in the morning and now it tells us Jesus prayed in the evening. I want to come to Mark chapter 14. And this is a passage where Jesus prayed when, when he was under an incredible amount of pressure. This is just before the cross and just before he died. Have a look in verse 32. Mark chapter 14 and verse 32. When they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. Then verse 34 and he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. I don't know if you've experienced something quite like that. I'm not sure that I've ever come to a point where I'd say my, my soul is ready to die. But that's what Jesus said. That's, that's a tough day, isn't it? Wouldn't you reckon? Yeah. And so Jesus said, You just stay here while I go and pray. Now have a look in verse 35. It goes on, He went a little farther and fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. There are some who believe that prayer is about getting what I want. If we can just pray the right way, God will give us whatever we ask for, whatever we want. I'm ever so glad that Jesus didn't get what he asked for that night. Because if the cup had been taken from Jesus, and if the Father had not allowed him to suffer, where would we be today? We would be hopeless, helpless, without a saviour, without Jesus to care for us for our future. But he came to God and he said, look, let you work it out. That's, this is what I want. But he prayed according to God's will. And then in verse 39, again, he went away and he prayed and spoke the same words. So he continued to pray. So we've got Jesus praying early in the morning, praying in the evening, praying at times of incredible stress. And there's another place I want to take you to, and this is recorded in the book of Luke, in chapter 6 and verse 12. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. And this is the story of before Jesus chose the 12 disciples. And it says, It came to pass in those days 
that he went out to the mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God. I wonder if you've ever done that. I'm not saying you have to. But it seems to me that even though Jesus had this connection, this strong connection with the Father, it did not mean that his life was perfect. Not everybody liked him. There were people who gave him a hard time. There were people who nailed him to a cross. I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been nailed for something or whether you're struggling with something. It was Jesus who said in one of his prayers, God, why have you forsaken me? He felt like God had left him. And yet he had strength and he had courage to face the things that he needed to face because of his connection with God. There's a verse that kind of sums these things up. I want you to come to it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 9. The chapter is, we could explore the whole chapter. It's telling a story of the people of Israel, the children of Israel. And they were out in the desert. They had been wandering around for a long time. They hadn't particularly connected with God. And then there's something in this verse that is important in relation to what God had in mind for those people. They never experienced it. But it tells us of something which is the difference that trusting in God and connecting in him and with him can make. And I've got to say, I'm sharing this with you because I've found that it makes a difference for me. I've discovered a bit of this and I know there's more and I've helped other people to discover it too which is why I'm sharing it with you. We've talked a lot. We talked about the guy on the Harley. Everybody dies but not everybody lives. I want you to live. We read what Jesus said about life abundantly, life to the full, meaning depth of meaning. This is what it says. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. The people in the desert wandering around, they were looking for rest. They were looking for a sense that we've arrived, we've got a home, we can settle down, we can get on with life. They never found it. They never got it. They never found it because they never understood what we're talking about today. It says in verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, he wouldn't have afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore, there remains a rest for the people of God. We could read much more of the chapter, but I just want to explore it. Matthew was a four-year-old. 
I met his father one day. It was a, a day we were having a working bee at the church. I had actually been cleaning the toilets. I was, it, it was muddy outside. I'd been working around taking trailer loads of rubbish to the tip. And his father came in and he said, I'm looking for the pastor. I looked at myself covered in mud. So I said, well, that's me. He said, can I talk with you? I said, yes. And he told me of his four-year-old son who had just died of leukaemia. He said, I don't care much about these things, but my wife wants a Christian funeral. Would you do it? I said, of course. His mother and his stepdad figured out that if they ever wanted to see Matthew again, they'd better get serious about their relationship with God. Because they knew somewhere deep in the recesses of their mind that there was the hope of the resurrection. I had the privilege of putting the first Bible into his stepdad's hands and to the privilege of opening the God's word and sharing with them of God's love. And they made a choice to follow and to connect and to explore and do everything they could to deepen their relationship with God. And they had rest. They had rest from the grief of losing a four-year-old. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a young woman, a would-be mum, who was just had phoned me and told me I've known this person well for a, a while. I don't have this sort of conversation with everyone I meet, please understand. But she phoned me and told me, I think I'm about to have a, the second miscarriage. Can you pray with me? I said, yes. We talked, we prayed, we spent time together by phone because distance made it impossible to get together in person. And so I shared, I talked about trust, about leaning on God and experiencing his peace. And she didn't get it. She did miscarry. I spoke with her a couple of times, a couple of days, because it didn't just happen like that. She knew something was wrong. And as she continued through that process, and as we continued to talk, and as I continued to share with her the sort of things that I've been sharing with you today, she came, she rang me back couple of days later and she said well it's over that's tough stuff she said it's over and I said and how are you now she said when you told me about peace in the middle of turmoil when you told me about being able to trust and having a sense that no matter what it is that's going on God can make a difference in what really matters, the matters of the heart. She said, I didn't get it. But she said, I do now. 
She said to me, in all honesty, and she's said this to me maybe half a dozen times, I feel like I've been carried. I feel like I've been carried through this whole thing and placed on solid ground. That's one of the dimensions of abundant life. Peace that passes understanding. The God who makes a difference. My grandmother knew it. She was a lady who didn't have much. And she would send my mother and her sisters out to weed the garden and to do other things. They had no clue about the load that she was carrying and the things that were going on in her life. They didn't have to pay the bills, but she did, and she didn't have the money for it. And so she would sit down at the little old pedal organ. She didn't have one of these. She would have if she could have, but she didn't. And she would sing at the top of her lungs, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and other songs and hymns that reminded her of who God is. And she would do that and she would read from her Bible until... She had a sense of peace and could go on with the day as she trusted God. My mother and her sisters used to look through the window and say, it's not fair, she's in there having fun and we're out here weeding a garden. They didn't understand what she was doing until they were mature. And then my mum, I don't remember her sitting at a pedal organ, we never had one of those. But I did see her with her Bible open. I did see her with tears on her face. I did see her playing the piano and singing. And I knew my mother as a person of deep faith. One for whom knowing God made a difference in their lives. But that's my grandma and that's my mum. What about me? Because God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has children. You might have heard that before. And so I look at it and I don't bring to you what I have shared today because that's what my grandmother knew or because that's what my mother knew. I'm trying to share with you out of my experience and what where I've searched and the difference that I have found too. And I can tell you that what I'm talking about is real, not just for the young lady who miscarried, the would-be mum, not just for my grandma or my mum, I know he is real and I know he makes a difference and I have an invitation for you today and that is an invitation to faithfully seek him an invitation to do what you can do to deepen your relationship with him comes back to some basic things. Spending time together with God, reading his word. Spending time together reading his word and praying and sharing with others. That's why we've come together today, to worship together. That's why we get together during the week and Friday nights and other times 
to give strength as we associate and as we share and as we tell each other the good things that God is doing in our lives. My invitation to you is an invitation to faithfulness, to seek him faithfully every day, spending time together. If you need a hand to know how to do that, feel free to come and chat to me later or Roy and Jean Harris, some of the others, they can help. And look, it's not like any one of us has all of the answers. We are all seeking him more. If it's true that everybody dies but not everybody lives, I want to be one of those that truly lives. Maybe you can be too.